On this episode of Breaking the Game Show, I'm joined by Off the Ball Network alumni and the co-host of the Bunsen Bruises podcast, Mr. Jurgen Coney, and we talk about what's been going on in games three and four of the NBA Finals. We get into some of the coaching changes that have happened, and then we get into some of the trade rumors that are in circulation. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll be right back after this break. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Break in the Game Show here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. Y'all know me, Stephen Gillespie, the host of the Break in the Game Show. And joining me, very, very special guest. He, I was actually blessed enough to be on his just amazing podcast that he co-hosts with our buddy Bars from the Off the Ball Network. This today, of course, is the other co-host of the Bunsen Bruises podcast. He is a an official member, alumni, my brother at the Off the Ball Network, um, a man of many talents. It, he kind of found himself a niche where he could talk about hockey and baseball, but today he gets to spread his wings come on here and he gets to insult me on my own show about how much he knows about the game of basketball ladies and gentlemen mr jogan jergen coney of the off the ball network jerg how you doing today brother i'm doing very fine it's been a pretty calm relaxing and peaceful day for me so far steven i'm very happy i get to end it off here and just thank you that was an outstanding outstanding introduction you you always do you always do the intros right you, yeah I, I i take some notes from you and i try to put it put my own little spin on it when it comes to monday night so i appreciate that thank you well, and see look here's what we're doing right you come on the show you thank me for the intro but you give me just tit, tit for tat you know just all the pleasantries are being circulated around it's a beautiful thing i couldn't think of a better thing to do on a friday evening than talk sports with you my brother and i'm glad to have you on Always glad to be on. I always appreciate the fact that I, I am one of the go-to people that you love having on. Like, it, truthfully, truthfully, like, it, it means a lot to me. Well, it means a lot to me that you always seem to find yourself available to be on my <laughs> Rinky Dink podcast, but I'm glad to have you as always, man. So we're done being nice to each other. We can get to talking about the game of basketball and some of the breaking news that have come out today. You know, Jerg, when I was planning this show, um, there really wasn't a lot of just hot news, you know, it was other than obviously, you know, the NBA finals are happening right now, right. but you know, that's kind of boring. Right. But, um, today a lot of breaking news came out. So we're going to get to be some of the first people to, to, to dive into this, man. So, uh, I'm ready to get going, but before we do just want to remind the folks that breaking the game is powered by manscaped use code BTG at checkout and you can get 20% off plus free shipping using that code BTG. That, of course, stands for Breaking the Game, the name of the show that you're listening to right now. And uh, also, before we get going, you're listening to us on the um, Dash Radio channel, the Nothing But Net channel. Today is the kickoff of the Off the Ball Network block party where you got three straight hours of myself, followed by the Up and Flame show with Mo Murphy, followed by the Off the Ball show podcast show with chris lebron and then later tonight you get to listen to the hoopers can't get any better than that so without further ado jerg let's get going so we talked a little bit about this on your show you know had to return the favor get you on here today to talk about just the nba finals you know we just had games three and four happen from the last time that we recorded here on our show 
And I want to get your take, man, because games one and two, we're looking some type of way in Phoenix. And then the games are brought to the east side of the United States. And now they're looking completely different type of way. So what has been your analysis so far of the finals at large, but also just how the Bucks have been playing at home? Just a complete 180, isn't it? When after games one and two, a lot of people honestly pegged the Bucks to, you know, they would have been lucky if they w- would get one win in the series. You know, if they could just not get swept, I think a lot of people were saying that that's, that's the benchmark for them after how it, it looked at, in Phoenix. But then, like you said, like you kind of alluded to back uh, this past Monday on my show, Stephen, it's just all about, you know, the Bucks and their home cooking throughout the playoffs. You know, they, they've used home court as such a sanctuary for them where you think about each and every single round, home floor meant a lot to them. It was, you know, getting that clutch victory in, I forget if it was just one overtime or double overtime against Miami, and that really set them on the path to ending up sweeping them. Uh, They used home court every single time they lost to Brooklyn in round two. They always came back on home floor, and they won every single time, which led them to eventually be able to get that upset win in game seven. And then in the Hawks series, uh, 2-2 tie where Giannis is out, we didn't know how long at that point. Obviously, he ended up missing the rest of that series. And they used game five to put everything together for everyone to play off of each other well, for them to make adjustments to the game plan, to then carry them into game six in Atlanta to get that win. So really, I, I'm not surprised that they were going to use home floor to an advantage because when you look at this playoff run for them so far, they've always done that. And to see them do it against Phoenix, I think some people may be a little bit shocked because just how good Phoenix looked. But you also just have to think about there's a reason Milwaukee got to this point. You know, they're a team that, you know, no championship team has ever won without taking some punches. And they took their punches in these first two games. They're bunts and bruises, some people would say. Mm, There you go. And then they just they fired back, tying up this series. Absolutely phenomenal. So, you know, you got to give credit to them for not backing down, not faltering in this moment, because a lot of teams would. And I think previous Bucks teams would have, but not this one. There, There's clearly I see it's a there's something a little bit different from them in previous years. So I and I think home court. I don't want to say the biggest, you know, because, of course, they, they could win anywhere. But I definitely think home floor advantage has been a massive part of that because they, who do, who doesn't love just, you know, performing at home, Stephen? You, you get the crowd, you, no matter how limited capacity is, like you get the crowd going, man. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a big deal. We saw Phoenix. We, they looked like they were going to be the runaway favorites. We were thinking maybe a gentleman's sweep, if not just an outright sweep in of itself. And again, Jerry, you, you nailed it on the head, man, like. When the the Bucks, they also made it to the NBA Finals along with this Phoenix Suns team that were looking, you know, just like they were a juggernaut. Milwaukee at home, completely different story. And there's a saying that the playoffs don't officially start until a team wins on the road, you know, unless it goes to Game Seven and every home game counts, right? But right. you really get to test your medal as a team whenever you can walk into the opposing arena and just insert your will. And, you know, just stand on, on top of that mountain of victory and look at your defeated foes just slaying at your feet. Right. So it's just um, it's incredible to see Milwaukee bounce back the way that they did, because the stories over the past you know week or so, Jerk, have been they just look defeated. You know, Coach Bud isn't making any adjustments at all. He's just standing there watching his team just flop around and not doing anything to help them. Giannis isn't healthy. Chris Middleton isn't really. This is starting to become one of my favorite, not really, (laughs) but um, one of my favorite um, focal points in NBA discussions is, you know, he's not a Robin. He's not a Batman. You know, there's no real true superstar on this team. And lo and behold, a couple games later, two back to two back to back 40 point performances from Giannis and Chris Middleton with the 40 piece of his own 
the series looks a lot different. So Jerg, as as we get a little bit deeper into here, um, real quick before I do, our buddy Kenneth from Shooter Shoot says Jerg with the best beard since Chuck Norris. I can't but agree. I can't I can't connect my facial hair worth anything. So I'm always envious of those who can. But Jerg, game three, it was held in Milwaukee. The Bucks won 120 to 100. Giannis had one of his 40 point performances with 41, 13, and six. Holiday for all the you know flack that he's been getting throughout this series at large, he had 21, 9, and 5. And Chris Middleton had a modest 18, 6, and 7. Chris Paul, on the other hand, 19 and 9. Aiton had 18 and 9. Crowder had 18, 6, and 1. And how about this? Devin Booker only played 29 minutes that night, finished with 10, 6, and 2. Game three, here's a couple points that I want to hone in on just for this discussion, Jerg. Game three isn't won by Milwaukee without the initial you know, jolt of energy from Drew Holiday and then the consistent hustle of P.J. Tucker. And then for the Suns, it was just some sort of mental blockage for Devin Booker. So what do you what do you think about that game three? Yeah, I think game three was what we expected. I think when you look at the history of the NBA Finals, while the record is actually relatively close, like the home team will play better coming down uh coming in down oh two they're they're gonna you know put on a better performance i think of back in 2016 when the Cavs were down oh two initially to that 73 and nine warriors team game three was a complete 180 of how those first two games look where they were the team dominating controlling the, the pace of play and all all such things and so i think when it comes to game three i think we have to key in on some of those points that you mentioned it's like the adjustments that the, the team made going into that and executing like I, I think the thing with adjustments is that it's always nice to have them ready but then it's about executing them right and you have to give from Budenholzer making them because yes while I myself personally have also been critical of him you have to give him credit when he actually does make the adjustments he made the adjustment of okay Giannis what we're going to do now you know we have to get we have to get away it's a nasty habit sometimes because it's won them to what's it's won him to MVPs and won them back to back you know seasons is the best record in the league but, you know, him taking the ball from outside, then going in, that can't be what you do every time. Here and there, you know, that it's fine. Like two possessions per like quarter. If you want to see what Giannis can do, be that, you know, wrecking ball that he is all, all for it, but not for the entirety 12 minutes of, you know, each and every single quarter. So they got away from that. Like you pointed out again on Monday, they used him to be, you know, I, I don't want to say um, not a not a decoy. But the play wasn't always going through him. He wasn't the first person to touch the ball mm. when they would get in the half court. It would be Drew. It would be Middleton. They were spreading the ball around. And that made Giannis's job easier offensively. I remember just some, I think it was, I forget which half it was, but there was just a possession where like the ball kind of hits off the rim and Giannis just using his length in all just takes it away and just easily goes in for the slam right there. Like that, that was just one of those plays that made you realize like Milwaukee was just playing with a different type of energy that night. And like you said, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, while Chris Middleton offensively, his game was, you know, so-and-so then I think his length came, uh, you know, it showed out a little bit more in that one. And especially with Drew Holiday, just the, the overall defense was so much better in that one. As we saw, like you point out, Devin Booker had his, I think probably you could say his worst game of the playoffs thus far. Mm -hmm. And it forced Monty Williams to make the decision of, okay, it's just not our night. We're going to sit Booker, get him ready for game four. And when you can do that, when you can force the opposing coach to sit their best player, essentially throwing the white towel for the game, that's, that's a massive boost. That is just an absolute massive confidence boost for your team. So Milwaukee all in all, like game three, they obviously had to have it, but the way they did it, like you need to give them props because they, everything we criticized them for, they delivered on. Yeah, hundred percent. And again, I I I mentioned PJ Tucker. You didn't break him down in that beautiful 
you know, breakdown of the game three. I just want to keep giving PJ Tucker flowers because again, he may not score, but he is a winning player. Every yeah. every time he's on the he's court, he's an OG. He, he's an OG. He is I, an OG. I OGs. We always say it, man. Between you and I, that's our thing. You know, every team needs an OG. PJ Tucker is an OG. OGs win you games. And how about in game four? Again, held in Milwaukee. Um, the Bucks won this game a little bit closer, a little bit more down to the wire. Um, you know, it was a 109 to 103 victory. Giannis had a modest 26, 14, and 8. Middleton with 44 and 6. Holiday with a 13, 7, and 7 game. Booker bounced back in this game for Jerg. He was actually the focal point of that offense. He was the engine. He carried his team. He had 42, 2, and 1. Crowder again showing up. 18, 6, and 1. CP3 with a modest 10, 7, and 4. And DeAndre Ayton, again, he had back-to-back rough games. You know, one with foul trouble. This time, he just couldn't get it going. Played 29 minutes, but he had... Excuse me, he didn't play 29 minutes, but he had 6-5 and 17 rebounds. That's huge, right? But we we broke this down on the um, on the morning run with the Hoopers. It was Edgar, myself, and, of course, John from the Hoopers run. It's interesting, this breakdown between Phoenix and... And Milwaukee, and this was kind of the biggest tipping point as to why I've picked Milwaukee from the beginning of the series. You have two playmakers for for Phoenix, right? You have Chris Paul and Devin Booker. On Milwaukee, you have three. You have Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Giannis. So it it's simply a numbers game when you look at it because if one of your creators is down, you're just down to one guy. That night, Game Four, you know, it was Devin Booker. If you have one guy down from Milwaukee, you still have two guys who can, right? So if Drew Holiday's down, only giving you 13, but yet seven rebounds, seven assists, you get a 26 piece from Giannis and then a 40 from Middleton. It's just, it makes life, it makes life easier. Even though they're not the deeper team, they're probably the more top heavy team. And that's probably a little bit taboo to say coming into this playoffs, right? But it's really what's kind of fleshed out in, in these finals, Jerg. No, yeah, I, I honestly think it's funny you mentioned that because this is kind of a point that I personally hit at when it comes to a lot of my series, like when it comes to playoff predictions and why I usually pick teams. Who is the team that has the best player on the floor? Okay, mm-hmm. now what happened? Now what's the case with two through four? The team that usually has the best player is going to win unless like three of the next four guys are on the other team, right? You you think of the LeBron Golden State years uh, in the finals. You think essentially LeBron against most teams, you know, is is he the best player? How overwhelming is that gap? Various things like that, right? So when you come into this series, as outstanding as Devin Booker is and as much as people want to tear down Giannis for this season, like Giannis was still great this season. Like he is Mm -hmm. still, whether, of course, we all love what we're seeing out of Booker, but Giannis is the best player in the series. He, he is the most, in terms of just destroying the other team's game plan, if he imposes his will, he could do that. Now, Booker's next, and a lot of us would say Chris Paul is next, but in terms of how they've been playing, it you, you could pick your poison. I'm sure most would pick Chris Middleton before Drew Holiday, but Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, like the two of them stepping up, like you said, uh, offensively has been big. But also let's look at the defense of it, where – you know, you, you point out the fact that uh, offensively is just two playmakers for the Suns and then three for Milwaukee. Let's look at the defense where Chris Paul has the mindset. You know, he's still a pretty good defender at this point in his career. You know, he's not a liability. Booker's not a liability, but he's a uh, slightly above average at best defender, right? Because he, He's a shooting guard, 6'5". Like, he, he has the metrics. He's athletic. It's, he's not a bad defender, but he's not the guy you'll think of of getting you that stop. Chris mm-hmm. Middleton 
a, a, a very similar thing, but he's a little bit taller, 6'8". He can contest some of these shots better compared to Booker. And then you have Drew Holiday, who is, I think we can all universally agree, like the last two to three seasons, an all-defensive team guard. Uh, and then Giannis, who was last season's Defensive Player of the Year, right? Mm-hmm. So when, when you consider it on both ends, that's really been the difference here because we saw it especially in that Game 4. Now, I, I would really love to key in on this because Chris Paul, for the outstanding playoff run, he's had a lot of people are starting to bring up questions. Yeah, I really, I'm really am curious. Like, I'm sure the defense of Drew, like the defense of Drew Holiday has been great, but how much is his hand bothering him now? His mm-hmm. wrist or hand? I, I forget what exactly it is. How much is that bothering him? And how much is that really helping the Bucks defense? Because if you notice in that game four, Stephen, Chris Paul didn't even bother ninety percent of the game to try to use like dribble with his left. It was on the right side the whole time. And we all know, like, this is, I remember this uh, being on, like, uh, one of the TNT segments. They were joking about it, where Kenny Smith was like, if I, if I played back in the day, Bob Cousy, I would have stayed on his right. I would have just forced him the entire time, forced him to play with one hand. You're going to get a steal every time. The, with Chris Paul being forced to only dribble one way, that feeds into uh, all-NBA defensive guard in Drew Holiday. That feeds into Giannis and Middleton being able to contest if Paul is able to get away and, like, try to fade away. So it's all these things that are just clicking for Milwaukee on both sides that's really helping them here when you consider both the offense with their playmakers and then the defense of what they've been hounding. Because like you said, yes, Booker had that game four, the, the outstanding outstanding game four, but that game three, like the Bucks got to him and he had his, again, I, I'm pretty sure it's the worst game of the playoff firm. I Maybe not statistic-wise, I'd have to look back at the game log, but it felt like that was his worst game. He, he couldn't get into a rhythm. He just, it, it didn't feel like his night at all. And all the credit in the world to this Bucks defense because they, like a lot of people forget these last couple seasons where they've been good, they've been one of the best defensive teams in the league. So they, they showed us they can perform like this. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, if you remember last season, there was debate on whether or not Brooke Lopez was should be up for defensive play of the year considerations. Just last season, this year, not so much. But I want to address what you said about Chris Paul before I put we talk about, you know, obviously the play of the night that, that took place in game four. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of sports talk. I've been doing a lot of reading. Um, yes, I can read uh, about Chris or about Chris Paul's hand or wrist injury. I believe it's his left wrist. Um, he, no one's talking about this. When Monty Williams was asked about it, he just said it's fine and didn't say anything else. And we all know that Monty Williams is probably one of the more generous with his interviews in, in terms of being an NBA head coach. So when he says two words, brings a little bit of, you know, extra, you know, spotlight or attention to whatever it is that he's saying. And I do think that some of the credit does go to the to the injury of Chris Paul because he heard it earlier in these playoff runs. You know, he's older, he's a small player, he's still great, still one of the best to ever play the position, right? But ultimately that does like you said, Jerry, you you I think that you adequately assessed it to where you're not knocking the defense of Drew Holiday. It's just that healthy or not like if you're 100% healthy, it's going to be hard enough to line up a, across Drew Holiday, especially in clutch moments. But when you're not 100%, but you're trying to play like you are, you're going to feed into a really, really good defensive player like a Drew Holiday. And then just the overall length of Milwaukee, if you're trying to do these wraparound passes or you're driving right and you're trying to hit the opposite corner across the middle and you're not 100% when you're doing it, you know, odds are like, how much are you going to trust your body to make that decision before you maybe extend it too far and get an injury? So a lot, a lot to consider there, but let's talk about the play of the game. Probably might be the play of Giannis Antetokounmpo's career. And just walk me through 
when you were watching this moment, Jerg, just watch, walk me through what was going through your head and I'll set it up for you. So Devin Booker is attacking right. He is just absolutely bombarded by four Milwaukee Bucks players. He has his seven foot ascending star center, you know, eight and cutting to the basket. He lobs an alley oop or attempts to lob an alley oop to Aiton. What are you thinking from that moment on, Jerk? So I'm thinking uh, on initial, just like a lot of us, we're all thinking, okay, Aiton's going to grab this. He's going to throw it down and the Suns are going to change the complexion because that is one of those kinds of plays that it, you know, momentum can it is a real thing in moments. Yeah. And if they get that play, if Aiton slams it down, you know, if the game ends up going to overtime, you got to think the Suns are very confident because they're the team essentially forcing the overtime. So you're thinking, okay, Phoenix is going to get to OT. They could potentially take this 3-1. Now, I just remember looking back at the – so that was initially. That's what we all thought. But I remember looking back on the replay, when they started to show the replays, when I noticed Giannis turning his head, I'm like, oh, that was the telltale sign right there. Because mm-hmm. Giannis – we it, it feels weird to say this, but we sometimes forget – just how freaky athletic this dude is. We we honestly do, and it it, it, it concerns me because it's like we sh- how can we forget this about a seven foot dude, arms long, one of the specimens of the game. And by the way, he could jump really high. You know, oh, if yes. some of his <laughs> if some of his career highlights, like you said, the previous career highlight for him was that dunk against the Knicks where he just uh, was a Tim Hardaway Jr. I think is the person mm-hmm. he cleared. This is the new one for that. And all, honestly, it's very similar to that play just on the defensive side where Aiton gets it and at the pinnacle, like this is the thing, it's not coming down. It's not Aiton's head is like, you know, down at the pinnacle of the catch in, in the process of like getting ready to go. Of Giannis, a seven foot player's arms. Of a, of a seven foot player's arms, Giannis goes and perfectly, no foul, like all ball gets Aiton on the block. And again, just looking back, like when you see him turn his head, like Giannis is one of those defenders. Again, we because he's the defensive player of the year, he he will make that play, right? Mm-hmm. And I think uh, if it, it was Mike Greenberg or someone else that said there's only about two or three players in the world that could make that play, and Giannis is one of those guys. So, and a player like Giannis, like all all it is is it senses, right? And this is again w- one of the reasons why I, you and me, Stephen, like we're on the path of we're not going to take anything away from Giannis. Yes, criticize him when he doesn't perform but don't Mm -hmm. take away from his quote unquote legacy or whatever you want to call it, because those kinds of senses, the ability to to just make that play happen. That's, that's top five player in the game special. That's all time potential special right there. And it all uh, coincided into becoming the most memorable play of this final so far. And what, of course we're waiting for the series to end at this point, but what could be the play you look back at, and even it's funny because how often can we say this in a seven game series where it's one play in a game middle of the series where it's like everything changed right there, like they mm-hmm. won from that play, and that if the Bucks do go on to win, that will be the play right there that changed everything, and it is off the shoulders of the Greek freak himself. A hundred percent. I don't know if you had an opportunity to listen to Giannis walk him like walk us through how he was thinking during that moment. Basically, like he wasn't touching Aiton at all. Like he spider sense is tingling. He said he says that he felt that he was cutting behind him. And so as he and this is the incredible thing, as the as the guy who stepped in to engage the passer of the alley oop, he stepped in to close out on the pass of the alley oop, saw that the pass was coming. As he was 
beeline sprinting to the to the facilitator of the alley oop turns across his body looks from one side of his body to the next takes a step he says that he launched to where he felt that Aiton was going to be after not even seeing him he launched to a designated spot in the back of his mind from where he thought he would be lunged to that area as a seven foot 240 50 whatever pound you know deandre ayton is jumping to the basket and yes seven foot arms extended Giannis, you know leaves the the facilitator of the alley-oop to block the recipient of the alley-oop at his absolute pinnacle and Giannis said i thought i was going to get donked on whenever he just spider sense tingled switched and went to guard the other guy on the alley who th- thought he was going to be dunked on. And here's why I love that even though he was thinking that he was going to get dunked on, he still went because, Jerg, how many people, one, are capable, two, even if they were capable, wouldn't go because they wouldn't want to be on Twitter on a highlight reel. Right. And Giannis, the funny thing you mentioned with, with that, Steven, is Giannis has been dunked on quite a few times the last two or three seasons, and mm-hmm. it's because he goes for it. Like, he, that's one of the old like old-fashioned mindsets he has is like he kind of goes for it like Alonzo morning in Miami like Zoe got dunked on a lot by a lot of different people mm-hmm. but it's because he literally went for it like he went for the block every single time not for statistic purposes but just to obviously stop the player trying to make the play and more times than not you know it, it ended poorly you know when it came to the likes of Vince Carter and stuff and I think yeah. in the Hawks series like John Collins had a dunk not not similar to that not off the oop per se but just a dunk on Giannis whereas one of those things where it's like oh no is it gonna take the series now so when you mentioned that, and that's what we're talking about, it, it's those senses. That's championship senses right there. That's championship confidence of, uh, you know what? I may get dunked on here, but I got to make this play for my team. I at least got to try. Like, you can't blame a man for the effort. Of course, a lot of people would have if the dunk would have gone through. But you can't blame a man for the effort. And just like you said, the when he turns, like the thing is, like when you see, when you look back at it, you almost need to see in slow motion how his body in like just so quickly goes, like you said, from going after Booker, who is facilitating, to then immediately getting to Aiton, Pinnacle, everything. It's just, it's masterful. Words cannot do justice what he did on that one play there. They, it really just can't. The only I don't words can't do justice, but a letter can, and W, and that's what helped mm. get the Bucks W there. That that block is, a, that's a signature career moment. When we're looking at the Giannis highlight reel, top 10 plays of his career, when, when it's all said and done, like that... It, that's probably number one or maybe number two if he does something like that throughout the rest of his career, which who knows because there's still so much left. Yeah, he's 26 years old. He's in the finals. I keep saying over and over, ladies and gentlemen, Giannis Antetokounmpo, from where he was when he came into the NBA, from the spot where he was drafted alone, the country he came from, the fact that basketball isn't king over there, it isn't even close the fact that he came from where he came from, the fact that his body looked completely different, the fact that Milwaukee basically took a flyer on him, and then comparing him to other all-time greats, ladies and gentlemen, Giannis Antetokounmpo is ahead of schedule. Any criticism that you have of him, any doubts that you have about him being able to win the big game, you need to put all that to the side because he's ahead of schedule and he's in the finals at 26 years old. Leading a team as a two-time MVP, defensive player of the year, multi-time all-star, multi-time all-NBA, multi-time all-NBA defense. I mean, the accolades for someone who just doesn't know how to play the game of basketball very well, according to a lot of you, 
the man has a, a treasure trove of awards and we just need to go ahead and recognize and appreciate that. Like Jerg, I know that you do. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it, it's just one of these things I've always found interesting. And we kind of mentioned it, me and uh, me and James, cause we did our MLB midseason awards this past week. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I said this with Jacob deGrom, it's like Jacob deGrom for so long, people wa- have wanted the Mets to be better. Right. Because he is a pitcher that deserves his team to be good. Like Jacob deGrom should be in the postseason like eight to 12 times in his career. So we could see him transfer his masterclass performances to when it matters the most. Right. But he hasn't gotten the chance to do that because the Mets have just been bad. And in his, and not just, you know, overall team record for him for so like he's out here winning the Cy Young with like a seven and nine record, but his ERA obviously is like a sub two. And I I joked about it so many times, like it was kind of like a running gag. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I can't wait for DeGrom to be below 500, but be the best pitcher in the game again. Cause that that's legitimately what it's been like. And for this season, now that the Mets are in this position and me and bars both talking about DeGrom deserves to be both Cy Young and MVP. I'm just waiting for the the next bad start he's going to have, which for him, like this season, a bad start is four earned runs, which for anyone else, that'd be a good start, <laughs> by the way. Ridiculous, yes. Like, like for DeGrom, like once he has that bad start, so many people are going to harp on him. And it's just like, so now you're, you guys are mad at him for for being this great. And his team is finally good, but now you don't want to see it because it's like it's just such a confusing thing about sports fans, man. Like Giannis, like when he won his first MVP, that was a feel good story for us. It's like mm-hmm. this guy drafted late in the lottery, like this skinny kid coming from Greek, uh, Greece, like you said, like basketball is nowhere near king over there. It's soccer and heck, it may not even be the second sport. Right. So mm-hmm. for when you consider all that, his upbringing, everything he had went through personally, everything he had to then go through, like transitioning, like people don't understand how tough it is for these kids at the age of like 17, 18, 19, 20, depending on which league they're in, to go to another country, right? Mm-hmm. So you you have to be good at the sport, but you need to learn how to live there. Like it, all of that is so different. And when you consider the progress he's made, like you're right, he's ahead of schedule. Like how many 26-year-olds are multi-time MVPs, all-stars, defensive player of the year, and now have led their team to the finals and two wins in the finals, by the way. Like uh, he, we're not saying he's the only one, obviously, but that list is a very, very, rarefied very exclusive. Air exactly so Giannis, like all, all the credit in the world like that that dude i've said it for years now he's special and i hate it when people tear down the special players because it just makes no sense to me yeah i mean you got to love them long enough to see them at their at their peak or their pinnacle at least the the peak or pinnacle that you think that they're going to get to right but then when they start exceeding even your expectations you got to start looking for those tiny little things once they get that first big contract or in this case Giannis is super max contract then you say okay you get paid all this money can't shoot a three you can't you can't carry your team to the big game and look at him he's in game four one of the best i don't care if you think it's the year the second or the fifth or whatever i think we can all agree that was one of the best blocks in nba finals history and it's owned by 26 year old Giannis antetokounmpo all right jerk so we're going to transition next to coaching changes but before we do i want to remind the folks that not only is breaking the game brought to you by manscape where you can go and get 20 percent off with promo code BTG and free shipping at checkout at manscaped.com. But I want to remind everyone that Off the Ball Network, the place that Jerg and I call home, is brought to you by MyBookie. MyBookie matches up to 50% of your first deposit and up to $1,000. That's the largest bonus in the industry's highest credit card accepted rate. Fees are fast. They have 48-hour payout process. Use promo code Off the Ball and let's win big, man. Promo code for my bookie is off the ball. Jerg, what do you think about that, man? That's pretty, that's, that's phenomenal stuff. If you're a betting man that I don't even like my betting terminology is very like, you know, amateur. 
And even I know just hearing that, it's like, oh, th this is outstanding value. Like if you're, you know, if you're wise in the ways and you just don't do it, uh, you know, much and you haven't uh, done my bookie with my bookie a lot, like this is the prime opportunity or even someone like myself who's, you know, sports gambling is very few and far between for myself personally. I, I mainly just predict not so much gamble. But if, I, if I'm looking to, you know, get myself started here, th like this is the offer you need to take advantage of. And we, there's plenty of time and plenty of stuff to go with on as well. Like the, the finals are still going on. We have officially it's, it's best two out of three wins at this point. Uh, MLB is about to enter the second half of their season soon. So there's going to be some stuff earlier this week. Like if you would use this offer earlier in the week, you could have put some money down on the home run derby. Like mm -hmm. just like things are popping up here. The in Olympics sports. are going on. Exactly. Like a lot of interesting stuff has happened. You know, couple sports and quality sports and, you know, entertainment with the with the chance to make some money off it. Like who, who doesn't love that? Who doesn't love that? I don't know. And you know what else I don't know? I don't know why it took so long for some of these NBA head coaching vacancies to be filled, Jerg. One one that I want to touch on is one that, you know, is my fault. I didn't mention on our last show. And that's Rick Carlisle returning, yep, returning to Indiana to be to replace the best name in NBA coaching last season and Nate Bjorkren uh, replacing him after a tumultuous first and only season with the team after seeing freshly cut Nate McMillan go on to take his Atlanta Hawks to the playoffs and, yes, advance in the first round of the playoffs, everybody. Nate McMillan did that, okay? Um to see to see Nate McMillan, you know, the ex-girlfriend do better with a you know better looking guy than you or a girl, however you want to do your thing. Um, Rick Carlisle returning home to Indiana after it was rumored that he may be done in Dallas, which is sad to see because, you know, he won an NBA championship there with Dirk Nowitzki. I know Dallas fans love Rick Carlisle, but, you know, sometimes good things come to an end, man. So what do you think about the return of Rick Carlisle to Indiana, Jerk? It fits, honestly. Like the this is one of those things where just it, it makes sense. When I heard it, I'm like, you know, Rick Carlisle to Indiana. Of course, even just aside the fact that he coached there before, he was with the organization before. Like it, it just feels like it fits. He he fits that kind of environment, an organization that you know is it, it, is constantly trying to take that next step. And you know, e even with Dallas, when you consider what they were when Carlisle ended up taking over, like yes, there there was a superstar there in Dirk. But Dallas ain't necessarily getting the big name free agents, right? Like they were, I don't want to say selective, but like they, they they made the right moves. And Indiana has always been that kind of team for so long. So just from that point of view, it fits. And now when you think about some of the guys that he's going to work with, like again, of course he's he's had superstars. He had Dirk at, when we saw the, the best Dirk Nowitzki ever back in those 2011 playoffs. Young and Steve Nash. Young Steve Nash. He had Luka Doncic now for the first couple of years of Luka, Luka's uh, like, just outstanding career. NBA, yes. NBA 2K cover athlete, by the way. Let's let's hey. go Balkans. Uh, <laughs> and so now let's look at who he has in Indiana. A, a very good player, all-star caliber player in Malcolm Brogdon, all-star in, DeMont in uh, DeMontis Sabonis, other good pieces on that team like a Karis LeVert. Just overall, th this feels like, you know, the team that a Rick Carlisle would go to. And it feels like this is a team that needs a Rick Carlisle. They, they go for Nate Bjorkren. They, they go through that year. And I just think the, the coaching and experience for him, like not being that head guy before really hurt him. And I yeah. think you, you can't say that in any way for Carlisle. Like he literally one of the most experienced coaches in the game. He's, he's a voice that they'll respect. He's a guy that they'll listen to just overall. I think a, a great hire by the Pacers, what all things considered. Yeah. It's a quality signing for a quality team that sure. They like a superstar, but they got great depth. I mean, Nate McMillan, when this team, even injured, 
took this team to be, you know, the fourth, fifth, or sixth seed pretty consistently, you know, and Rick Carlisle typically gets the best out of young guards. And in this situation, you mentioned Malcolm Brogdon. They just traded to get a Karis Levert. TJ Warren, who, you know, had one of the best bubble performances in NBA history. We can say that because it's true, even though there's not been very many NBA bubbles. Um, he had himself a, a fine performance in the bubble. You got a, a lottery pick coming up, and Rick Carlisle does well developing young guards. So I'm interested to see how he does this. You know, Miles Turner, will they, won't they trade him type thing. You would like to think that they give Rick Carlisle a chance to work all of this stuff out. I don't foresee Goga Bataze cussing out any assistance on this team or anything of the like. So it, it should be boring, so to speak, but also very productive uh, in Indiana. But I I don't know about you, Jerg. I have an affinity for boring NBA teams. I, I love them. I can't help myself. I, I respect the heck out of them. Like I think, you know, and I personally am one that after a while, like I will say in certain situations, like when it's been going on for five, six, seven, eight years and you haven't taken that next level, like that's, that's when you change it. Mm-hmm. Like if Rick Carlisle is quote unquote boring for one or two years in Indiana, like, okay, this is a dude that that's won a championship. Like he, he has the pedigree where unless it's a complete train wreck, yep, he has a leash there. He very deservingly. So, so I think it's more than going to work out. Like you said, and, and this is very rare for the Pacers. When you think about it, like how often do they get a lottery pick and think about when they've had lottery picks, like, I'm sure there's been one in between. So if I'm forgetting, please, like the, that that's on me. But like one of the last times they picked in the lottery, there's this guy called Paul George they picked. And he I think he's a pretty good player from what I've heard, Steven. So like like you're telling me this team and even just aside from Carlisle, they're good at developing. You think of Sabonis when he was traded there. Uh, Brogdon, of course, was a good player going there, but they, they've tailored him with him having the ball in his hands more. Now they're going to get a young player who's going to learn like, this is honestly the kind of locker room you want to go into if you're one of these late lottery guys. Veterans there, you can take all the knowledge from them, see how they work on to pr- improve themselves daily. Like if I'm like a late lottery pick, like yeah, you wish you could have gone higher, obviously. Yeah. But if you're talking about situation, like Indiana's one of these situations you want to go to. Yeah, no doubt about it. And just kind of spoiler alert, I'm working on my mock draft of at least of how I would do it if I were in an NBA organization or all of them. And I have a Cam Thomas from LSU going there, who's just a walking bucket. And I mean, again, you look at the lineage of just guards that have played underneath Rick Carlisle, even even unsung heroes like a JJ Berea or a you know a Jason Terry or you know a a Jalen Brunson in in Dallas recently. You put a guy like Cam Thomas, who's a walking bucket (laughs) underneath Rick Carlisle, who could. I'm not even exaggerating, Jerg, when I tell you. As a rookie, I wholeheartedly believe that this kid could come into the NBA and be a six man of the year candidate. He's he's that talented. Now he won't he's not a world beater on defense. He hasn't shown that he's going to be the best playmaker or initiator of a of an offense yet. But I mean, he's takes NBA NBA threes. I could go on and on about this. This isn't a mock draft show. I just want to say that Indiana, you're in a good spot to draft a great talent and you have the right coach to be able to do so. So moving on to other coaches who are going to be getting a chance somewhere else. A lot of these guys are going to be first time, right? Let's talk about Wes Unsell Jr. Jerg. Now, I'm going to go ahead and put you on the spot and put myself on the spot because this happened as I was preparing for the show. Didn't have time to get in the notes. But Wes Unsell Jr. coming over from Denver. You know, we've seen the development of players over there. Now the Washington Wizards replace Scott Brooks with him. I have a question for you. So you you get rid of your coach. You've had a disappointing season. 
it didn't pan out for you. You have two really, really good NBA guards. There's rumors surrounding both of them that they might not be there anymore. You hire a first-time NBA head coach. Do you think that this points to a rebuild? Oh, okay. That I wasn't expecting that question, actually. Um, so th- it's interesting because I think in a lot of situations, some people would would actually say, like, okay, yeah, they're going to rebuild. They're going to go through this process. You know, Wes Unsell, when you look at all the teams he's been on, he's helped develop the young talent, right? Even uh, when he was in Orlando for three to four years, like he was part of he was part of the Orlando coaching staff that was in charge of the initial years after Dwight Howard left. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he, he was a part of that staff. He worked a lot with Nikola Vucevic and some, and some of the young guys that grew up. I don't know how long he had with Aaron Gordon, but I think he had at least one year with him. I don't know if he had any time with Jonathan Isaac again, like my timelines here, like it, it's kind of murky. Yeah. But if he would have had the chance to, I think he would have been great for Isaac, at least if they did have a year together. I'm sure it was a good year for him. Uh, And then going to Denver, again, Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, Jokic. Here's the thing that makes me think, like, could it, will it be a rebuild? Because Denver defensively has been pretty up there in terms of, you know, some of the key statistics and efficiency the last few years. Like, Wes Unseld has made them a pretty solid defensive team. You know, we think Mm -hmm. of their offense because of Murray and Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. is a pure bucket. But defensively Wes Unseld was a big part of that team's performance so now you look at Washington I'm really not sure because this team the defense is few and far between now can he make a difference uh, like I don't know where they were like this isn't me saying that they were this but let's say hypothetically if they were like 20 let's say they were 21st last season if Wes Unseld can bring them to like 13th let's say like they they take like that eight uh eight place jump coincide that with the Westbrook and Beal offense is that enough to make them a more bona fide playoff team? Like, yeah, you, you would have to think so just off the numbers. Like you're saying your offense is still going to be dynamic with your two all NBA caliber guards, but now you're going to play better as a team defensively. Like that, that's the interesting thing. I just think ultimately it's all about, you know, it's the domino effect, Steven. And will Beal actually get traded? Like once we hear something from the Beal end of things like that, that's how we'll know. Because mm-hmm. if Beal, I, I would say well, it's July now, like if the, Beginning of September starts and Bradley Beal is still a wizard. They're they're clearly going for the playoffs again this season. Like that, unless something they get something crazy in September, by all means, do it, Washington. But hypothetically, if he's still a wizard by then, they're going for the playoffs. And for a rookie head coach, like I'd be really interested to see him uh, go after that task because a rookie head coach, like how often? Not saying this is his expectation, but how often are they? You know, it's kind of maybe uh, internal, like in between the lines, like. You know, it'd be really nice if we could make the playoffs here, you know? <laughs> it sure would, man, especially because Scott Brooks, he's gotten progressively worse in his time in Washington. And I'm not going to say that he had the right groceries to make a five-course meal, you know what I mean, with being in being in Washington when he was. But you have a guy like Bradley Bill, you need to see this guy in the playoffs. And if he's as loyal as he wants to be, here's the thing too, Jerry, is like, not that Bradley Bill's just looking for a way out because, I mean, my goodness, this guy has been in trade rumors for the past three or four off seasons now. I mean, this guy has already been supposed to have been traded a few times. I wonder how long he can hear these, you know, just whispers that, hey, you're saying this. Did you know that you said that you want out of Washington, D.C. right now? And you know that you want to leave the district. He's just kind of been that steadfast, just I want to I want to be a, a wizard. I want to be a wizard. We're seeing it on the other coast right now, and we'll talk about this here in a little while as well. But eventually, man, like you get tired of your prime years being wasted and, and even having a difficult time making this newly found playing tournament that we found out today, Jerg, is going to be around for next season too. So breaking news covered on this aspect of it as well. 
Do you think that Bill, do, would you be surprised if Bill wants out this season or do you think that he's going to give it one more year? I wouldn't be surprised because like you said, like I think people just get tired of like the media, like you said, He's, he, like someone somewhere is probably going to ask him within the next few weeks. It's like, did you know that you said that you wanted to leave Washington soon? <laughs> and Beal is just out here like, like maybe someone in his camp has that feeling for him. But Beal's like, what have I said to you people? I'm not mm-hmm. talking to you guys. So it's a very interesting, like just from the mentality perspective, of it, like Bradley Beal, like you said, he's a chill guy. Like I'm sure he just wants to go out there and simply ball and also handle his business. So to constantly hear this stuff, it's probably th- making him think like, okay, Am I going to am I going to have to take this in my hands and like, OK, I'm going to handle my business since you guys so mu- want me to so much. Right. So it's just that kind of thing. Like for Wes Unsell, I, I would feel uh, junior. I would feel really bad if they do end up trading Bradley Beal because it's like he goes into this situation and I'm sure maybe not promised. I don't want to say promised because I think we've learned in sports over the past week or so. You don't promise things because it'll lead to you know bad situations down the line potentially. But I'm sure like there's an idea in his head of like he has to be thinking, what could I do with Westbrook and Bradley Beal? Like I, I'm sure he thinks in his head, like I have been waiting to get my hands on these kinds of guys as a head coach. Now, like, let me make this work. And with the, like, let's talk about developing young guys, Rui Hachimura and Denny Avdia here. Like, I think he's going to do wonders with both those guys. I think he's going to be able to figure out a way to, you know, be more creative with Denny Avdia uh, on, on the court, you know, put him in more of those point forward spots, have him Mm -hmm. as like a support role to Beal and Westbrook. Uh, and then with Rui Hachimura, like what he could do with him, making sure that he's in the proper position, always in the lineup, like to, just to give him the best chance on a night in by night out basis. Like Wes Unsell, like there's some potential here and it would like, it would really suck for him if they do end up trading Beal and if Beal does one out, but obviously it wouldn't be anything personal from Beal to him. It's just like, uh, what, what was the situation recently where it's like the, the, I, I forget. It's like a situation in sports recently where it's like the, the new head coach is hired, but the superstar is like, no, I'm sorry. I want to get out of here. I'm sorry if they told you you were going to get me. I'm, you just won't. <laughs> it happens all the time, man. And it's, we saw it, you know, in, in Houston last year with, um, you know, the situation with James Harden one and out. You don't want to see that this season with, you know, you know, he had Steven Silas down in Houston and now Wes Unsell Jr. getting his first opportunity. You would like to see him be in a position where he can be successful. And they do have eggs to crack to make an omelet over there in D.C. right now. So here's another first time, longtime assistant, first time head coach. Jamal Mosley is a 15 year assistant, takes over Orlando as the new head coach. He spent the last seven years in Dallas. We were talking about how, you know, another coach got the opportunity to work alongside Luka Doncic. Jamal Mosley had the same thing last year. Now he's taken over this young rebuilding team. They have two first round draft picks this season, both in the lottery. I believe they have a couple seconds as well, if, uh, if memory serves me correct. And they have some really good young talent with RJ Hampton, Cole Anthony. They have a couple of guys like uh, Jonathan Isaac, who, if he's healthy, has a potential to be an all-NBA level defender. And then we'll see if he can get anything out of Mo Bamba because we sure as heck know that no one else has been able to. So what do you think about Jamal Mosley getting his first time um, shot in an NBA team? And what are your expectations for him in Orlando? I love it. I think this is – first off, props to Luka. He's getting these coaches hired, man. You, you want to become a head coach, go to go to Luka Doncic and play mm-hmm. one of his guys for a few years. Uh, you know, I absolutely love that he's getting an opportunity here. When his name was being floated out there, I looked way more into him. And this is a guy, Stephen, when you look at his career, he's kind of been on both ends of the spectrum in terms of he's been on the young teams that need to develop a little bit. But then he's been on teams that want to contend. You think about seven years – 
in Dallas. That goes back to the end of Dirk Nowitzki's time, and there's they were still trying to be a playoff team with him. So he wasn't just always working with like 20-year-olds. He was working with like the veterans that Dallas yeah. would bring in, try to help get the best out of them, try to work with those guys. Like and there uh I I don't know again, this is all I'm sorry about my timelines here. You know, sure. I'm, I'm sure Do- Dr. Strange would not be happy with how much I'm messing with the timelines, <laughs> but um you know the early mid part of the 2010s when Dallas was just bringing in these veterans to try to help get Dirk to the playoffs again. Like I think of Darren Collison, Monte Ellis, guys like that. Like Mosley was right around that time, maybe a little bit after those guys, but working with veterans to try to become a playoff team again. And then recently in the last few years, Luca, Jalen Brunson, Dwight Powell, like th- this uh, next era in Mavericks basketball. And then Maxi Kleba, I'm a big Maxi guy. I love Maxi. Exactly. So like you, you have that just in Dallas alone, but then you look before that he was a Denver Nuggets assistant coach when they went the furthest they ever did with Carmelo and that Western conference finals run back in 2009, where they lost to the eventual champion Lakers. Mm-hmm. So this is a guy that has been on teams that either need to develop or make that push. Right. So I think for Orlando, you're, you're getting a guy who he's seen it. Like he's seen a lot of different situations as an assistant and I think it's going to be good. Uh, again, very happy he's getting this first opportunity for himself. I personally like to see new blood eventually come in, no matter how it does. Like get 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 new people in there, new ideas, new like different viewpoints. That that's mm-hmm. what you need for the coaching cycle to constantly go. Like these guys can't coach forever, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they, it feels like it sometimes, but they technically <laughs> some of can. them do. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I personally love it. Now my personal expectations. I actually I spoke about this with some friends of mine. I don't have, and this is not to put it in a negative way, but I don't have high expectations the next two to three, uh, at least the next two seasons, because you need to give him time to get his roster set. Like, yes, there's okay. young talent there right now, and there is incoming young talent here, but you can't just win with a roster of young players forever. Like, the organization needs to find a way in the next two seasons. Like, you need to pinpoint, like, okay, these are the young players we're going to go in the future with, and however many it is, are you going to keep three of them, and are they all three your starters? Are you going to have four of them, two starters, two bench? Like, however you end up divvying it up, right? You need to make those decisions, and then when it's time to hit the transition, then you you trade some of those young guys, bring back a veteran there, or sign a veteran in free agency after his first year there. Get, like, these guys there to help these youngsters, like... Uh, we all love the idea of bringing in a young team and, you know, maybe they could you know, be exciting. Well, they will be exciting, but can, can they make this spark of a run? Like the young team that can against the veterans in the league, but that's just not simply how it works, right? You can't just put a bunch of 20 year olds out there and they're going to go get you in the playoffs in year one. That's, that's not how basketball works, especially the NBA. Like it, the NBA is known for eating its young talent alive if they're not ready. So I think for him, you need to give him at least a year, get these high prospects in, give the, give him a year with them. And then in year two, once that's established, year two is really going to be the culture year. Like after like a year from now, that first offseason after he's been a head coach, you know, what do we need on the roster? Let's get a veteran here. Let's get this guy five years in league. Let's get this specialist who seems like you need to start building a real team eventually. And then once the veterans are in, he can continue to you know nurture that culture. And potentially, I think year three for me personally will be the year where I have some expectations uh, for what the Orlando Magic should be. Because right now, they traded Vucevic, they traded Gordon Fournier. If I'm missing a name, I apologize. But they, they've essentially committed to a rebuild. And it's not fair to him to have any expectations other than your rebuilding team. Like, go, you're going to go through the motions. But if the young players play well this season, that's a success. Yeah, and another one of those names that moved on from the former regime was uh, Nikola Vucevic, where they did end up getting another first-round draft pick this season from the Chicago Bulls. I agree with you, Jerg. I think that the expectations need to be limited, but here's what I love about this situation. 
in Orlando, there's really not a lot of media attention. I mean, sure, they're an NBA team, so they do have some sort of you know visibility. People are paying attention to them at some national level, but it's not your New Yorks, it's not your LAs, it's not your Miamis, and so forth, right? There's no expectation. There's hungry guys on this team. There's guys who are still looking to prove themselves. And now you have a first-time head coach who's also looking to prove himself. You can definitely establish this us-against-the-world mentality down in Orlando. And, you know, hungry players, if you're if you're as every ounce of what you're built up to be as a Jamal Mosley, these players are going to want to run through a brick wall for you. So, Jerg, before we get into the next coach, I just want to remind everybody that we're coming up against it here for the radio show. We have another coach that we're going to talk about. We have a whole other segment of trade rumors that we're going to get into. So if you don't get a chance to finish listening to us here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio, brought to you by Manscaped and by and my bookie, Come over and listen to us on the podcast. Go look us up, Breaking the Game, anywhere podcasts are available. We're on Spotify, um, you know, iTunes, all of the major, you know, anywhere podcasts are found, you can find Breaking the Game. Just go look us up, hook us up with a five-star rating, a review, like, share, subscribe, all of those fun things. And also for our awesome co-host today, Jerk and Coney, excuse me, I had to chew my words there. Um, go follow his podcast, Bunts and Bruises, also available now on iTunes, right, Jerg? That, that was a massive victory. Bar, like, Bars didn't give himself enough credit. He put in a lot of work. It was a lot of hours, a lot of emails, I'm sure. You know, it, it's the behind-the-scenes work that needs to get you know pointed out. Like these coaches, Stephen, they, mm-hmm. they finally get their opportunity in the sun to prove themselves. It's the same with Bars. I, I want to give him his flowers here because he, he put in the work to make it happen behind the scenes. He really did. That's all podcasting is, is, you know, you get an hour of us here, maybe an hour and 30 on the pod, you know, you get an hour of us here on the radio show, but you get so much more of it behind the scenes that people don't know about the editing, the scheduling, the, the emails, the syndicating, all that fun stuff. And we won't bore the folks here with it today, but we know what we're talking about when we say it. Um, so just again, I just want to thank everybody for listening to us here on the Nothing But That channel on Dash Radio. Um, just continue to listen. Stay tuned because next you're going to have Mo Murphy of the Up in Flames pod making his second appearance here on the Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. And then after that, you can catch the president of the Off the Ball Network on the Off the Ball pod. And then later this evening, I believe it's at seven, Hoopers, forgive me, but you can catch the Hoopers here on the Dash Radio channel, uh, Nothing But Net as well. So, um, Jurgen, thank you again for your time. We're going to break here now for the radio show. And we'll continue this uh, discussion for the podcast. But before we go, let all the folks know where they can find you and your fine work. At JerkK40 on Instagram and Twitter, I'm constantly sharing, whether it be like stories or actual posts, uh, just, you know, things I'm doing, things I've done, you know, ideas I may have. So, you know, just, you know hey, a, a follow is greatly appreciated. I'm not going to force anyone to do it. You know, if you if you follow me, just just y'all need to follow this man. It. Educate yourself. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's what I'm doing. I, I ideas are up here steven and it's all about putting them out there so you know mm-hmm. it, it, it's the life of a podcaster just like you i understand all yeah and please go to off the ball network.com for, for all of your sports needs but real quick before we go please go over to my bookie they will match up to 50 percent of your first deposit and up to one thousand dollars that's huge that's a big deal you get 48 hour payout process use promo code off the ball and we can win big together Promo code for my bookie again is off the ball. And then when you're done with that, when you win this money, go to Manscaped, hook yourself up with a nice clean look. 
your significant other will appreciate it. You'll feel better about yourself. They do more than just the, the lawnmower, which is phenomenal, by the way. They have underwear, which I'm wearing right now. I don't care if it's too much information. It's the most comfortable underwear I've ever worn in my life. They have foot deodorant that feels amazing. I'll hook you up with 20% off and free shipping. Just go to manscaped.com, do your shopping, enter in promo code BTG. That'll let them know that I sent you. And because I'm such good friends with them over there, they'll give you they'll give you a nice discount. And then we can just continue just to look and feel great about ourselves. All right. So for my awesome guest today, Jurgen Coney, for the Breaking the Game show here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio, for Off the Ball, for all of our lovely sponsors, for all of you beautiful people, just thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch up with you guys next time. Jurg, let's just tell the people much love, everybody. Take care. All right, now. And that's a long enough break to where I can edit that out, and we continue on with the podcast. So, Jurg, again, just to reset, man, if folks are coming over from listening to us on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio, thank you guys so much for doing so. Just hook us up with a five-star rating and leave a nice review, and we'll just continue to educate y'all on what we know about the game of basketball. So to close out the coaching discussion, Jerg, Willie Green, who is an assistant coach right now on the final hopeful Phoenix Suns, he right now it's looking like it's pretty set in stone that he's going to be the New Orleans Pelicans' next head coach. He's a former NBA player. He's been a part of um, multiple organizations now that have made finals appearances. He's been around success. What do you think about him becoming the Pelicans next head coach? I think it's very interesting because I think this is one of the ways, um, this is one of those kind of coaching hires that we're probably going to be seeing over the next like five to 10 years with the league for young superstars. Because one of the reasons Stan Van Gundy, because he did an interview of this after he was fired, was he just mentioned that one of the, like one of, if not the first thing, that the exit interview was about was that they didn't like his style. They didn't like the fit in terms of him with BI and Zion. And that kind of threw Stan for a little bit of a loop because he he thought, you know, it was going pretty good. You know, of course there's, you know, bumps in that first year, but he, he thought he, they, you know, they had a chance. Of course, like his, his whole thing was, yeah, we didn't meet expectations. We should have won more. Like, of mm-hmm. course he's a coach. He'll admit that. But when, it, when you hear about the style thing, that's when you, you, you take that and then you take the news of, obviously not Zion himself, but people around him in his camp not being happy in New Orleans, that starts to make you think, okay, how is this? This is going to affect the head coaching hire. And when it comes to Willie Green, I'm not going to take any way, uh, anything away from him. He's earned it. He was an assistant coach for a couple years in Golden State. You saw the success they had over there. He got to learn under Steve Curry, got to work with Steph Curry and KD. And now here in Phoenix, again, working with Monty Williams. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think if did he play under Monty Williams or like he just missed being able to play under him? Like there, there's a relationship there between the two of them uh, mm-hmm. and w- working with Chris Paul, Devin Booker. Like, I think a lot of people don't understand like consistent coaches, like in certain situations, they mean a lot in terms of how the team is doing. And I think Willie Green's just presence working with these guys. It, he's definitely learned something, but I think the main reason he's there is ultimately, you know, to be the quote unquote new player coach in today's league where, you know he he knows that he knows about the game. He's no slouch about. It. I'm not. I'm not even going to say he doesn't. But he's probably. I think the offensive and defensive game planning. Like they're going to hire veteran assistants around him. He's going to have a good coaching staff that you can really do the X's and O's well. And his primary purpose will be that bridge between him and Zion. Like he will communicate to Zion better than anyone else in the Pelicans organization will be able to. Same thing with him and Bi and all the other young players on that team. Like his ability to communicate because he's now seen the evolution of the locker room. 
Like that, that's one of the main reasons he got the job. You know, of, of course, again, he knows his stuff. I'm not saying that, but you, you look at what Brooklyn did with Steve Nash and mm-hmm. how it's worked for them so far. Steve Nash knows his stuff, right? But it's, it's way different from playing to now coaching and for Willie Green from assistant coaching to head coaching. So I think it's definitely going to be interesting, but I think at least for me, that's one of the main reasons he became the new head coach like that. The idea of relationships in today's game, we hear this in life, Stephen, like relationships are important. Doubly so in today's new era with these young superstars. Yeah, they got to feel comfortable listening to the voice that's trying to tell them that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Like that's coaching in of itself. Which is hard, by the way. <laughs> it's, it's extremely difficult to look a multi-million dollar, you know, <laughs> finely tuned athlete and say, you need to be doing this better. And if you have, if you don't have any playing experience, such as a Stan Van Gundy, and you're built like a dude who might <laughs> be in the stands, Maybe a, a, a Zion Williamson looks at you and can't relate at all to what it is that you're trying to communicate to him. But a Willie Green, who's not really a, a super heralded NBA player in his time, but was a professional for, for a long period of time, coached under or was an assistant underneath some pretty, you know, well-recognized faces in the NBA still today. Maybe a Zion can relate to him a little bit more. I'm curious, Jerig, as to obviously the biggest task is how do you get two guys all-star potential one of them superstar potential neither one of them are particularly interested in playing on the defensive side of the ball how do you build around um and this is probably going to answer the question just the way i ask it but a player that we've never really seen another player like him before and then just another long lanky offensive you know just threat but not really interested in playing on the defensive side of the ball I think it's all about playing to their strengths and playing to their weaknesses. So when you look at BI and Zion, what are, what do they excel at? What are they just absolutely outstanding at? And how do you allow them to w- work on the other aspects of their game to get better, but also have that support system around them? I think when when I think of Brandon Ingram, of course we know of the potential he is as a scorer. Like he's like he he was compared to KD straight out of college. Now in part yeah. because he he essentially <laughs> has the same frame. But I think we've slowly started to see like there are moments where yeah, he'll pull up from 25, 27 feet out, but and there's a good chance he makes it because he has that kind of potential. But at the same time, I think his playmaking is a little bit underrated here and there. He's had stretches to the end of his tenure in L.A. when he was a point forward. When you think about in New Orleans, like the times when Alonzo had to sit and, you know, they, they have quote-unquote point guards, but not to the level of Lonzo's playmaking ability. B.I. is kind of a point forward here where he could pick up like a game of seven assists here and there. Like he has that type of ability. So you got to build, you know, off of that. I personally think, well, of course, this could be a case, honestly, funny because we talked about the Bucks a lot today, Stephen. Yes. The case where we know Zion is going to probably be like he's going to be the franchise player. He's probably going to be the best player. But B.I. could be the, the person you more build the team around of. Let him be the ball handler coming up. Like let the offense kind of flow through him with Zion in moments when it, when it's time to take over. And let Zion like let Zion set those screens, let him get physical, grab the rebounds, do all that. Like we haven't heard anything of Zion not wanting to do all those things, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's willing to do it. So in my mind, you got to put it in a situation where they're kind of a lot of people, like they always love using like the, the extreme examples of Shaq and Kobe or Dwayne Wayne and LeBron. No, like what they could be, <laughs> they could be the Giannis and Middleton for this team where Ingram will take on the role of Middleton. Ironically, another guy he shares this frame with like, I'm sorry, Brendan Ingram. It, it just fits. And then Zion is the honest, like that just supernatural freak of nature 
you know, just when you look at him and then he'll, if you see him charging at you, you're, you're going to want to move out the way because that's a, that's a freight train. That's a freight train attacking you down the lane. Yeah. And I'm so happy to hear somebody other than myself say that. And we didn't discuss this before we came on the show. I've talked to vice president of off the ball network, Mo Murphy about this and, you know, other members who have been a part of the network as well, that, I liken Brandon Ingram more so to a Chris Middleton. That's more attainable to him than a Kevin Durant, who one of the best scorers that the NBA has ever seen. And then you you can compare a Zion to a Giannis because at this stage of his career, he's super efficient around the basket. He's still trying to learn the game, really. Um, doesn't have much of an outside game, but has the handle and can play make out of the high post or even beyond the arc as well. So there's a lot of similarities there. I really appreciate the fact that even unforced, you and I were still be able to be on the same wavelength it's as how wavelength, we man. it's, you know, it's just the uh, NBA Wi-Fi that you and I share together. All right. So transitioning now to the final segment of the show, but certainly not, uh, you know, the worst segment. We get to talk about the juicy stuff, man. NBA trade rumors and the NBA blessed us today because I was going to only be able to get to talk about some other really tantalizing stars, but Hey, news fell into our lap today, Jerg, that Damian Lillard supposedly in the coming days is the way it's worded, is going to formally request a trade from the Portland Trailblazers. Now, as Damian Lillard has done with the coaching change that uh, ultimately ended up happening, um, said that he never said that, but never said that he didn't never say that, if that makes sense, (laughs) right? So um, I love it. (laughs) He's he's. very much so saying that I'm going to be the one to deliver the news, um, but has also used words like um, nothing firm has been handled. And I'm going to be meeting with the general manager and the head coach in Vegas just to talk like it's nothing. It's not a big deal. Like to get all three of those in a room together. I don't care if it's talking about the way the season went last year. And that's all. It's a big deal, man. When you get the superstar of the team, the general manager and the brand new head coach, even if it's the old head coach and there's these type of rumors circulating around, it's a big deal, man. So first off, do you think that there's any smoke to this fire or fire to the smoke rather? And then um, if Damian, let's just play a big what if game. What is your ideal Damian Lillard location? If it, it could just be Portland if you think he's ideal to be there. So what do you think, Jerk? I hope there's fire to the smoke. I really do. And this is nothing against Dame and nothing against Portland personally. But I, I kind of said it earlier for those that are, will listen to this fully on the podcast. I just kind of pointed out the fact that when you've had a situation for five, six, seven, eight, nine, however many years, and it hasn't resulted in the the final key result for you, it, it's time. It's literally time for a change, right? So the fact that to to this point, like yes, you know they've made the playoffs however many times, and they did have that one run to the Western Conference Finals. But aside from that, and then his rookie season where they shocked Houston in the first round. Everything else has been a first round exit. And honestly, and this is f- funny enough, Stephen, I spoke about this with a friend of mine. He doesn't even podcast funny enough with how insightful he was on this. I, I've been telling him he should podcast, but almost every time Dame exits the playoffs, it's either a sweep or a gentleman sweep. Mm. So when you consider that the fact that every single time you're going out, it's you, your team by the rules of the series, it's a best of seven. You're, you may not even win a game. That just goes to show that this organization has had an ample amount of time and however much of it you want to put on Dame, like I'm not here to say that. I just want to say overall, like there's been plenty of time to make a team that 
they don't lose in four games to the Warriors in the conference finals a couple years ago with no Kevin Durant, by the way, mm-hmm. but they did. They don't lose to an Anthony Davis led Pelicans team who they lost their second best player in the middle of the season into Marcus Cousins to for for to, to an Achilles, yet they swept you, right? Like, and early in his career, like second or third season, they lost to Memphis in the playoffs, I think in like four or five games. Like we could go on with this stuff, but essentially Portland's had their time and I hope there's fire to this. I want to see Dame on a new team just because it makes it more exciting. Like, and I, I feel this way with the NHL sometimes because this could potentially be a massive off season in the NHL article I dropped like about a week ago or so, like four drastic moves I want to see. If I did something like that for the NBA, the drastic move I want to see is Dame finally on a new team. I just mm. want to see it, right? So uh, I hope there is for a certain. Now, ideal situation, that is, that's a different conversation because you could take this in a number of ways. Yeah. You know, uh, w- the thing with Dame is, are you going to put him in another situation where he is going to be the best player on your team? And do you fully believe that he, if he is the best player on your team, can you truly be a championship contender? Because then I think if you're thinking like that, you're thinking of New York. You're thinking of, I personally don't think we belong in the conversation, but technically speaking, Miami, because he would be the best offensively gifted superstar on that team, bar none. Uh, You're thinking of situations like that. But then if you kind of pull back a little bit, if you're thinking if he's the second best player on your team and does that make you a championship contender? Yes, if Damian Lillard is the second best player on your team, you're a title contender. So then you're thinking... Philadelphia with Joel Embiid you're thinking and this would be a wild like they'd be their defense would be something to look at but uh, Golden <laughs> State some people have pointed out yep. like him and Steph like the two hybrid guards shout out to Yoda who is absolutely phenomenal with his position shout out maybe. to Yoda but you know two hybrid guards right there just killing it and they, they could both drop 30 on any given night you know that it, it's different and but you the thing is you know that's Steph's team right so it, it's all a different conversation how do you see Damian Lillard is essentially like what you need to decide and for myself personally, look, I I like Dame. He is fascinating to watch. Like he is one of those players. Like you you'll want to see him going off because when he'll he'll have forty, like there's a real chance. Like oh no, he's about to get sixty. <laughs> he's mm-hmm. gonna he's just gonna get get sixty right now. So I, I love watching him. But I personally see him if he's the first best player on your team. I don't think you can win a championship. So I think he needs to be the second best player on a team. And but going by my definition. It would need to be in a Philadelphia or Golden State or whatever other situation where he would be the second best player. That's an interesting uh, viewpoint about that. And, you know, it's not it's not fun to say second best player anymore. So whenever the Los Angeles Lakers acquired Anthony Davis, they had this fun breakdown of like, oh, you can have a one A and a one B. But we still know that one B comes after one A. Therefore, you know, you're still going to be technically the second best player. I think that there's a lot of fire to this smoke because let's just trace the breadcrumbs, right? Like as much as I want to take Damian Lillard at his word, we see with Kevin Durant, whenever a player is openly honest and everything else, they get flame sprayed, right? So Damian Lillard keeping a little close to his best and rightfully so. Don't blame him at all. Don't blame people for having sources. We saw this on Twitter earlier today, Jerg, like the, the word of the day on Twitter is sources and you know, whether or not you feel that sources are cowards or they're they don't exist. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, when you have a source, they should rename anonymous. So therefore, you can continue to have a source. Jared, you said that this is something that they teach you like day one in broadcasting. Right? I want everybody to take one journalism class in college. I really want them to do that. I think it should be a requirement. And I hate I, as someone who had to take so many classes that had nothing to do with his major. I hate that. 
but I think we all need to take one journalism class required in college just to just for the understanding of it is and I don't even, I don't want to call it a law or a rule or anything. it kind of is a rule but morally speaking yes you keep your sources anonymous that's just how it works to build trust with this person part of what you do is not outright naming them unless the person tells you like yeah go ahead put my name on it which is very rare so mm -hmm. like that's the disconnect with this kind of stuff it and especially with sports, when you think about it, when people say sources, who is the source? Like there, there's a real source there, but where is the source coming from? Is the source coming from Lillard's camp? Is the source coming from someone who is, you know, tied with the organization, but not directly? Or is it actually someone working in the organization, right? Like, and, and I know sometimes like some journalists have been burned because of their quote unquote sources. That doesn't mean the journalists didn't do their job. It just meant that their source was completely wrong about it, mm -hmm. right? Like I... I, I can think of scenarios. I'm not going to go too heavy into it, but it's just like that. That's that's how the game is. That's that's really how it is. Sometimes, like you, you get lucky. Sometimes you get that big break, and like whenever a journalist gets that, like happy for them. Like it, I think every journalist, like I hope all of them get that one break in their career. But it just doesn't happen. Like that. That's the thing of it. It's just like with the NBA, like with these superstars. Like we want them to get their you know flowers. We would love to see everyone get a championship. It just doesn't work like that at the end of the day. It's not a fair business to be a part of. But you know, back to the whole fire to the smoke that we're seeing now. I mentioned it earlier that the whole thing with uh, Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports, when he wrote this article about, you know, Damian Lillard possibly wanting out of Portland and the coaching aspect of it being a big issue with that. What did we see after that article was written? Terry Stotts was let go unceremoniously. It was just kind of like, thank you for the amount of time that you put in here. You were assigned to be a coach of a place where you don't get a lot of free agents. Your draft picks aren't going to be very good because you do have good enough players to make you know, decent playoff runs, you know, one time to the Western Conference Finals. Ultimately, we saw what happened with Chris Haynes making that report. We're starting to see the same things again. We're kind of getting these, you know, um, not so transparent answers from Damian Lillard. So that leads me to believe when we see an athlete not be 100% honest and very <laughs> carefree with their words, so to speak, whenever you see an NBA player intentionally think about what there is that they're going to say, you kind of have to be on guard and it's not to insult them or anything among those, but usually NBA athletes, they're, they're pretty, when they're honest, you can tell when it's a forced statement, you can definitely tell. It'd be the same thing with me with an ad read. If I've never done one before, you know, apologies for earlier, but, but anyway, you know, I think that there is a lot of fire to the smoke. I think that Damian Lillard is going to end up being on another team. Um, eventually now, does a trade happen immediately? No, you have to be very careful because it's a unique situation. Damon Lillard signed an extension for quite some time. Portland is going to have to continue to play basketball at some point without Damian Lillard. They got to build a program. Like I mentioned, free agency has not really ever been kind to them. So whatever assets they do get, they have to make sure it's beneficial to them. Now I'm sure that they're going to follow the NBA model of the players have to be happy where they go. I'm sure that they're going to do everything they can to make it, you know, an amicable situation where Dame gets what he wants, they get what they want. But if Portland doesn't get what they want, Jerg, I don't think that it's going to happen. And so there are some teams that I think could offer the best deals. I just want to gauge. I'm going to go ahead and say that it's probably not going to happen. But two teams that come to mind that I think could give the best deals right now are Oklahoma City who again, I don't, th I think that's on the lower end of the spectrum, but a kind of higher end of the spectrum. We saw what Atlanta did this year. They have a whole lot of assets that they could give for a Damian Lillard and picks. 
I don't see either one of them working out, but what would you think about Portland in entertaining the best package vice the preferred destination? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting when you think about those situations because Atlanta can offer you, you know, plenty of future picks. Like they're already going to be a playoff team with just Trey Young. Now, again, two hybrid guards, Trey Young, Dame Lillard, Trey being younger than Steph. It'd be really interesting to see there. Like it, it's those picks. Some salary has to go back the other way, of course, with the upcoming contract extension. So like who that would be. We're not making our trade machines here. We're just like uh, thinking of probably Bogdanovich, Gallinari, Capella. Uh, yeah, one of those two, one of those guys for sure. Uh, Reddish or Hunter would have to be in the deal. Like one of them would have to be in there. Um, I don't think he would be. Maybe Kevin Huerter. Like the the thing is, when it gets complicated, is that it's that fine line of you're getting stuff back for Dame, but obviously when he's going to the other team, there needs to be something there for him, right? Correct. So that's what makes it interesting. That's why, as entertaining as it would be, and, and I think that's two very interesting situations because we're we're assuming in both Trey obviously is going to be there in Atlanta, and you get Dame and Trey. And then in OKC, you got to find a way to keep SGA and then it's SGA and Dame. Like in both those situations, yeah, he, he'll get his like second player with him. But what's that the rest of the team looking like? And then mm-hmm. and OKC can more than afford to trade all those draft picks because they have. <laughs> yes, <that. laughs> they, OKC could afford any draft pick trade, right? I think so, they have upwards of seven total picks just in this draft alone. I think they have three first and then, you know, three or four seconds. OKC is probably going to draft one of your grandkids in the future, Stephen. Like, just letting you know, like, I think I think they're going that far. Here's hoping. First, right. So it, it, it's really interesting. But like you said, it's all about the destination. And look, like all due respect to Atlanta and OKC. Right. Like, I think Dame wants to go somewhere where there's been a little bit more, which yeah. I'm going to let you transition because obviously you're the host. There is a team with a very talented player on it that could potentially make a intriguing trade package for Damian Lillard here. I don't know what you're talking about, so we're just going to move on. Uh, ben Simmons is another player that I want to oh, talk about. Oh, okay. That's the guy you're talking about. Okay. I see what you it, did. It there. just works out, ladies and gentlemen. It, <laughs> it just works out. works out. So, Ben Simmons, um, I want to focus not so much on the destination with Ben Simmons because I feel like that that's, I say low hanging fruit all the time because the phrase low hanging fruit is low hanging fruit. Um, but, Ben Simmons, the what I want to focus on is how difficult is it to assess how valuable Ben actually is? Because we know that he just, not that he can't, he, but he won't. Maybe he won't because he can't, but he can't because he won't. I don't know. But Ben Simmons just won't shoot threes. And that is the the biggest you know chink in his armor, so to speak. But what you do get in a Ben Simmons drag is you get one of, if not the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. This season, I would say that he probably was. I th- He was... My he was my primary pick for defensive player of the year for probably the first, you know, 40 percent of the season. And then we just started seeing Rudy Gobert and the Utah Jazz do some pretty freakish stuff on that side of the ball. But on the perimeter side, like he can guard most teams one through four, some teams one through five, depending on the lineup that they throw out there. Um, He's an outstanding playmaker. We know what he looks like in transition. Due to his size and where he typically lines up on the floor, you're going to get great rebounding from your team. And again, your defense is going to be good. But because he's not this dynamo of an offensive threat, there's a little bit of a notion that he isn't extremely valuable and say a trade for Damian Lillard. Is that something that Portland or any team would would look at with Ben Simmons is what he can't do, vice what you know that you're going to get with Ben Simmons? 
I think if you do that as an organization, that's just a terrible move by you. Like when you look at what a player can't do, you're just completely ignoring the rest of your roster. Like, okay, but do we have the pieces that can counteract that? Mm-hmm. Right. So let's, we're obviously not going to focus too much on it, but let's just say hypothetically a port, like a Portland and Philly move happens and it's Dane for Ben, right? When you think of Ben and what he can't do, okay, like he's not perimeter score. Okay, let's look at what Portland has. They still have CJ McCollum, mm-hmm. right? They're going to have to work on uh, Norman Powell, but he could he could score from the perimeter. Mm-hmm. They have other guys there. So there's the perimeter scoring. Mm-hmm. The free throw shooting. How many guys on that team could shoot pretty good off from the free throw line? Like Most so, of them. Exactly. So that's handled. Um, and then what is – so after that, what does Ben Simmons bring you? He's bringing you the defense, best perimeter defender on that team by a mile, mm-hmm. and he's also tall. Like Norman Powell is a solid defender, but there's only limits to what a guy his height can do. Like that's when Simmons comes in. That's why I always said they missed Gary Trent Jr. just because of his height. Because again, Norman Powell, all all credit, but you, you can't teach height when it comes to defense. You just nope. can't. You, you don't see six foot five rim protectors. <laughs> so you, my thing is, if you can't look at a player of Simmons caliber, which is a multi-time all-star that is about to be in the peak of his career that in a few years from now, like you can say whatever you want about the max deal a a few years from now, if you get him on your team, you make things work. That'll look like a pretty solid contract. He's on for the last two years of it. Like I just always view it as as, for an organization. If you cannot figure out a way to make an all-star player work in your system, you're not trying as an organization. You're just not. So you can't look at Ben Simmons and just immediately write him off for what he can't do. Because then you don't believe in your skills as the general manager. You don't believe in your coach, uh, in his ability to fit, to be able to have Simmons there, who top five defender in the league, top three, right? Sure. Top five playmaker, just IQ, passing ability at his height, being a point forward. Maybe you want to put him a little bit down, top seven, top eight, right? Like Easily, like at, at a... Well, if we're going to pigeonhole people at a point guard position, he's got to easily be a top 10, like maybe at the yeah. lower end of the top 10, but he's still there. Exactly. And then even if you all, if you want to put him at power forward, like can you name 10 power forwards definitively better than him? Nope. So you, you, you take all these things and you tell me, you, you, and again, Portland, I don't want to harp on, but if you're telling me you want to get as best value you can back for Damian Lillard as you can, Ben Simmons is literally a multi-time all-star that's about to be on and on a contract long-term who's the defensive player of the year type player. And you have offense that can, you know, deal with the fact that he maybe isn't always going to take shots. That's pretty good for what you're trading away. So when, when you talk about value, uh, and I'm sure you're probably going to point out the, the rumored Indiana Pacers deal where it was, I think it was just Brogdon and one first, I think mm-hmm. it was for Ben Simmons. Love Malcolm Brogdon. And this has nothing this has nothing to do with him. You need more for a Ben Simmons. Yes. It's just it's just simple. You you get more for a player like Ben Simmons. We would tear Philly apart, tear them apart for trading Ben Simmons for just one first round pick. And I know some people may be shocked to hear that, but that's just the facts. Again, 25, prime of his career, he's about to be in. All world defense, top five playmaker, top ten at whatever position you want to put at. One first round pick? No, 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 no. That's not how the game works. It's just not. No, we've seen, we saw Jeremy Grant command a first round pick before he played in Detroit and looked like a most improved player of the year candidate up there. So uh, I'm I'm in the same, you know, company as you, Jerg. I, I said it in our group chat, plug for the group chat. It wouldn't be a show if I didn't plug it. But um, I think that he's closer and I'm not saying, okay, so when I say this, please take this with a little bit of grain of salt. Please understand that, like, I'm not saying he is as good as this player, 
I think I know what you're going to say. I think, I think I he's closer to the Bradley Bill, right, as opposed to a C.J. McCollum. Because I, I pose, you know, what would a, a Ben Simmons deal to, to the Wizards look like? And everyone is like, well, you have to take on Russell Westbrook. So, okay, well, would you trade Tobias Harris for Bill <laughs> for Bill Westbrook and Embiid together? And it, it engaged a lot of conversation. But ultimately, the the purpose behind that question was to gauge – how people value Ben Simmons that actually watch the game. And amongst our group chat, there's a lot of really great basketball minds there. And, you know, as great as they are, and, you know, as much as I like to think that both you and I look at the game and understand it at a pretty decent level as well, there's different opinions on where Ben Simmons lands in in terms of value. So that's why I wanted to touch on that aspect of it as opposed to the destination, right? So um, I have a few more guys that I wanted to discuss. I want to just... I want to close on on this guy, right? So a point guard for the Cleveland Cavaliers, not named Darius Garland, so that makes it Colin Sexton, right? Um, one half of the sex land in Cleveland. Um, Colin Sexton is rumored to be involved in trades recently, and now Cleveland, they're in a unique spot to where they have the third pick of this year's draft, so they feel like they might be able to replace him this year. Maybe that's pointing to the position that they're looking to draft. I mean, just a little you know, fire and smoke there as well. Two primary destinations have surfaced, to, to my knowledge, Erg, and if you know more um, in your breakdown, please illuminate me here. But um, your Miami Heat, um, most Miami Heat as well, and then about, what, 60% of our network's uh, New York Knicks. The, those are two teams rumored to be in, um, in competition to acquire Colin Sexton, who is on a rookie deal, so that's big. When you have restricted free agency rights on him, that's also big, so... You're probably going to pay up a little bit more than what you normally would for that. But not to mention Colin Sexton was a borderline Eastern Conference all-star at that at a guard position. Um, really improved his game a lot this year, his young game. Do you think that either one of those teams has the advantage over one another in terms of best fit and then also what they have to offer compared to one another, Jerk? I think fit, ultimately, you could go either or. It's like flipping a coin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colin Sexton is a Tom Thibodeau-like player, and he is also an Eric Spolster and Pat Riley kind of player. Uh, a guard who could you know, put up some shots here. He could create for himself, which I think is something key here when you're discussing both teams. They, both Miami and New York need shot creators this offseason. Uh, and not, not just like you know here and there, on a, but no, like consistently, uh, if, if Jimmy's sitting, if, uh, if Julius is sitting for the Knicks, right? Like so, someone's got to put up some buckets for themselves, right? So Colin can do that, you know, puts all the effort in the world on defense, can't guard everyone, but in certain situations, he maybe could guard the three on the other team, depending on who that player is. So like a one through three at best uh, perimeter defender mm-hmm. guy who could put up 20 a game. Like you said, board, like a borderline all-star reserve candidate this past season. A lot of teams should want that, but obviously because of the stench of Cleveland, I'm sorry, Cleveland, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of no limited. Fans. And you've also made it clear, like, again, this – I'm just saying a lot of things I don't understand in this episode. I don't know why, but uh, like one of the things I don't understand is that when you kind of put it out there, you want to get rid of a player. Why are you expecting the world back for them? Like we all mm. know you want to get rid of them. Like remember at the end of his Knicks tenure, when Phil Jackson made it clear he wanted Melo out, but he's yeah. also like, I want to get two first round picks back for him. That's not how it works. You can't tell us I don't want him on the team anymore, but Hey, by the way, I want to like, that's not how it works, man. So, and again, it's the, I know I said, Phil Jackson, he was something as an executive, 
But yeah. th- that, he that's was an executive. Yes, yeah, he, he was. He, an executive. he was an executive. Confirm. <laughs> Sources can confirm. But yes. what, when you think, uh, even just past him, there are so many teams and uh, situations like this where you were making it clear you want to get rid of the player, but you're still expecting a lot back for it. Not how it works, especially a guy like, yes, restricted free agency, but it's still pretty limiting. So now to the asset part of it, it, if we're going to go based off of the package that we allegedly saw, which was Obi Toppin, Kevin Knox, and one of the Knicks first round picks back this season, I think Miami could offer a better package than that for Colin Sexton. And of course, the big name that would be mentioned is Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero is better than Kevin Knox and Obi Toppin. You could argue he's better than James Harden, allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll ignore it. Uh, But but he's he's better than both of those guys. Heck, even I could put like maybe it's a little bit of bias, but like especially what we're seeing with him in the Olympic qualifying stuff. Like Precious has been pretty good. Like Mm -hmm. he's had his moments. Now the 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 struggle would be like Miami's first. So like I really wanted to say this, Stephen. By chance, I have a little trivia question for you. A little reverse. Oh. oh, boy. Do you know what year Miami, like, what is the next year that Miami will have their first round pick where they don't have to worry about any protections and they don't have to ask permission from OKC to be able to trade the pick without any fear? Uh, 26? Close. 2028 mm, okay. is the next season because I was reading an article about it. I think it's either from 2023 to 2025 or 2024 to 2026. One of those three-year ranges mm-hmm. where the first-round pick rights automatically belong to OKC. So Miami can't really do much there because OKC has the pick protection. Now, 27, technically Miami ha- can use, but here's the caveat. Excuse me. Here's the caveat. If Miami wants to get one of their earlier picks back, they then need to allow OKC to have rights on the 2027 pick. So 2028 mm. is the first year where they don't have to worry about protections. They don't have to worry about Oklahoma City and asking them for permission. Like you're asking your parents to be able to go out late. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, that's the first time. And so when you really think about it, that's what is hamstringing Miami in a lot of these deals. Uh, like I said, I have I like to think I'm a very level headed heat fan. I'm not expecting to get Damian Lillard this offseason. Pat Riley could be what like he is the the godfather, the mafioso, slick back hair, all that legend. How, there's he can't get Lillard just in the similar way he can't get a James Harden because as much as people want to meme about you didn't trade Tyler Hero for James Harden there were eight first round picks traded in that yep. Harden deal I'm I literally just said we don't have our own first till 2028 Miami didn't have eight first round picks man it just is not happening now for a lower lower scale not a Harden but the yep. next level or two down like Colin Sexton would you have to trade a first round pick for a Colin Sexton? Then that's where Miami has to decide. And I think if they ultimately do decide, you know what, we'll trade a first round pick. Like we'll work with OKC protections, give them 2027. 20, we get one of our picks back. Then Tyler Hero is the best player of the four I've said of Hero, Knox, Toppin, and Achua. Tyler Hero is the best of them all. And Precious is, I, I'm sounding biased here, but I could argue second there because Kevin Knox has stagnated and Obi Toppin, I'm just not high on a guy who can't play defense. And Precious can play deep, more defense than him. So, and he's younger. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know you mentioned this, Stephen. Like, I don't always want to point to you, but it, it, it's a real thing. The the guys came in at the same time, but Obi's like four years older than him. So, there, there's a development curve there, and it would also fit Cleveland a lot better in terms of the rebuild. So, yeah, in overall, terms of timeline for sure. So overall, I think like you could go with either team, but if both teams can offer the best possible offer, Miami would technically have the better offer there. Yeah, I kind of I kind of agree with. Miami in terms of players that you would be getting back, but what is Cleveland trying to do? I mean, if they're already getting rid exactly. of one of their young stars, 
they're not, obviously not trying to win more, right? Because they right. didn't win much with him anyway. So, yeah, it's it's a unique situation in Cleveland. I feel like that's uh again in keeping with low hanging fruit. You know, talking about Cleveland and and their decision making, it is what it is. But Jerg, um, I just want to thank you again so much for spending this past hour and a half with me here on the podcast. You know, if you caught us on Dash Radio, obviously you listen to the first half so over there on the Nothing But Net channel. But Jerg, um, again, before we let you go, man, for the people who didn't get a chance to hear, let the folks know where they can find you. Uh, at Jerk K40 for my own personal profile with all the stuff that I share, like all that, you can find that. But at Bunsen Bruises for the show that I co-host with the absolutely amazing baseball Don himself, James Barcia. Uh, mm. I would like to apologize for everyone that you had to listen to me for the last hour and a half. I, it's not the easiest thing to do. Trust me, I, I've listened to my voice. So but for listening to me just rambling over this past hour and a half along with Steven, like just, just thank you. If you made through it, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and the prize is, is that you can listen to us again next week. You can catch Jerg on his Bunsen Bruises show um, on their weekly show. They do such a phenomenal job. I was on there, had such a great time. Um, you know, I'm not going to invite myself here live on my show and put that pressure on you, but I'm sources say Steven sources say you may have had the best getting to know you segment thus far. I'm just saying Mm. sources are saying it. I'm not going to ask you who said it because (laughs) it's a nice thing to say. Now, if you were saying that I was the worst, I might try to pry and figure out who those (laughs) sources were, but I'm happy with your sources. Um, Whatever you're, you know, doing to get them to tell you things, do more of that because I appreciate the feedback. But um, as far as myself, you know, this is breaking the game. You're liking and subscribing. You're sharing, rating, reviewing. You're talking to your friends about it at work, about the great analysis that's breaking down here on the show. Jerg, you're you're a lot like me, man. I relate to you so much, but uh, you do a great job, and I benefit so much for listening to you, quote-unquote, ramble for a half, <laughs> an, a half an hour plus an hour, so an hour and a half, excuse me there. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm all the better for listening to you talking. Your analysis of the game is – is pretty stellar, man. So I appreciate you blessing me with a little bit of time this evening. Hey, right back at you. Like I, I will, I will say this about everyone at the network because like you guys are just like it, it's simple truth that I'm saying. You like off the ball network is the place to go to for some of the best. We got ba- we got baseball, hockey, basketball, football. Just wait until we get tennis and soccer in here, man. Yeah, We're MMA. Exactly. Yeah, Pat does a great job with the fighting combat Shout out sports. To- Pat's phenomenal with it. Betting, we got guys that love you know betting, give advice. Fantasy, I think like I'm sure we're gonna do more with fantasy. Two K like, leagues and all that too, man. Like come we're, on now. we're all over it. We talk. We always talk about each other as like a lot of us. We call each other Swiss Army knives. OTBN is the Swiss Army knife. Truthfully, uh, we are media. the four letter network of sports entertainment. So you can write That's that down. That's that a, a fact. fact. All right. So as far as us, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BTG NBA Pod. That's for breaking the game. Go to OTB underscore network on Twitter and off the ball network on Instagram. Tell your friends about it. Go check out off the ball network.com. I have a piece coming out here um, at the, you know, climax of the weekend where I'm going to be doing my first mock round um, where if I owned all 30 teams, this is who I would select and why. Um, that You'd should be a very out. rich man. You'd be a very rich man. <laughs> I would, and I'd have a lot of problems, but I think I'd be okay <laughs> because all of you guys would probably have a stake in the team as well. So there we go. All right. So I just want to thank everyone who's um, listening to us on Nothing But Net Dash Radio, listening to us here on Breaking the Game, the podcast. Um, thanks for all the support that you guys give. None of it goes unnoticed. It's all very much appreciated. 
It's why we do what we do. But on that note, for Jerg, for myself, for the show, for the network, for the radio, for the game of basketball, this has been Breaking the Game. We will catch up with you guys next time. Much love, everybody. Take care.